Ivan Segedin, that's his name, Ivan Segedin. Um, in February, the Associated Press uh, reported a story about a New Zealander named Ivan Segedin, um, who over a period of five years had been ticketed 32 times for um, failure to wear his seatbelt while driving. Just absolutely didn't want to do it and refused to. And even though he uh, you know, paid all of those citations, he just flat refused. To the point where he decided to rig a fake seatbelt. Okay? Fake seatbelt so that he could just get in the car and it would just kind of plop over his shoulder and give the appearance that his seatbelt was fastened so that he wouldn't get citation number 33. And it was working. I mean, the ruse worked. He was able to deceive law enforcement officials who by then were kind of on the lookout you know, for Ivan, it's easy money, right? Easy money, Ivan. <laughs> he wore that fake seatbelt, and he was able to fool the law enforcement officers. And uh, it worked until he was in a collision. And his uh, head was thrown into the steering wheel, and he was killed. And the coroner said this. The coroner said... This was a low-impact collision, uh, and he died in an accident that very well could have been, you know, uh, where he, very well he wouldn't have had to have died if he, in fact, had been wearing the correct seatbelt. The belt, here it is, the belt of deception became, in fact, the belt of death. Well, I want to talk about belts this morning. All right? I want to talk about, I want to talk about a better kind of belt. I want to talk about the kind of belt that the Apostle Paul speaks of in the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there. And I want us to read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 and 14, where we see what this belt is. Now, this belt is a part of a catalog of armor that the Apostle Paul describes in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. It's at the close of the letter to the Ephesians, a letter uh, to Christians living uh, in ancient Ephesus, which is uh, on, the, on the western uh, side the coastal town of, of modern day Turkey. And Paul was at Ephesus for three years and he had a wonderful ministry there. And Paul is in Roman uh, prison when he writes this letter. Actually, he's in a rented house, Acts chapter 28 tells us. And he's under house arrest in the city of Rome for the gospel. And um, he is chained to a Roman guard, all right? And so, 
He's looking at this guard, and then, of course, he has his Old Testament heritage drawing from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, describing Yahweh as a warrior who fights for his people. And he lists then this armor of God. And he does this because he wants the Ephesian Christians to know that the new society, the new nation, the new race from all of the races and tribes on the face of the earth, this new race that God has created in Christ, this new society, new community, new race has an enemy. And God's people need to stand against the enemy. The war has been won, but the war is not done. Satan has been defeated, but he has not been destroyed. And so God wants his people to stand, Paul says, 6.13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. And then he says in verse 14, and here's the belt. Here it is, heads up. Stand firm then with the belt of truth, the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The belt of truth. I want to talk about the belt of truth this morning. What does Paul mean when he talks about the belt of truth? When he lists the armor, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness. I mean, that's packed with imagery and meaning and symbolism. So what is going on in Paul's mind when he talks about the belt of truth? Why a belt? Why does he say belt of truth? Why not the javelin of truth? Why not the bazooka of truth? Well, he wouldn't because they're Roman soldiers. But, you know, why the belt? of Is there something significant about that specific article in the armor? Uh, we're going to see. And then, then why truth? Why does he first talk about truth? Why, why doesn't he say the belt of peace or the belt of patience? Why that? And we're going to talk about that too. And then, and then um, we're going to talk about what would God's people look like when they are belted up, when they are buckled, when they have the belt of truth fastened around their waist, okay? What, so what, now what? That's where we're going. First, the what? The belt of truth. Why does the Apostle Paul talk about the belt of truth? Well, in the armor of God, in the Roman armor, and I've got some pictures here. This is what a Roman soldier would look like. You can see the belt there. It's amazing. You get a bunch of scholars in a room and trees give their lives trying to discern what this thing of belt is. But here's the consensus. That the belt that the Roman soldier wore, the main purpose of the belt, since they didn't wear pants back then, the main purpose of the belt was to, was to the soldier would take the cloak or the tunic and tuck that cloak or tunic into the belt, which signified that the soldier was ready for combat. The, the soldier was belted up. The soldier was buckled. The soldier was braced, ready, ready to charge, ready to attack, ready to fight, ready to face the enemy. And the way uh, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 14 is written, it says, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled. And, And the idea is that this is something that the soldier has to do. The centurion's not gonna buckle your belt for you. 
The belt is provided, but the soldier has to see to it that that belt is buckled and fastened and snug so that when the day of battle comes, when the enemy is charging, the soldier doesn't have to think. You know, you go out there even in sports today where belts and braces are used. Say even football, those shoulder pads strapped they don't, you know, you got to have those things fixed to your body so that once they're fixed to your body, you don't have to think about it. You can just play ball. And that's what we're looking at here. The soldier's belt is fastened and strapped, and it provides security, and it provides a confidence. It provides assurance. It's the equivalent of the athlete's ready stance. When that soldier is belted up and buckled up, that means the soldier is prepared to fight, doesn't have to, if the soldier has to think about the equipment, then that's yet another enemy to have to fight, right? The enemy's right here. You don't want your equipment flopping all over. You're going to be tripped up, entangled, and vulnerable. You get fastened up and tightened up, and you get ready. That's what that belt means. Paul uses the word belt to signify that the Christian soldier is prepared and ready to fight the enemy. The belt. The belt of truth. The belt of truth. Why, why, why not the belt of peace? Why not the belt of patience? Why not the belt of joy? Why the belt of truth? Huh? Is Paul teaching us something that's elementary, something that's fundamental about truth? Of, of its necessity to be belted up and fastened to and fixed first so that we may then have the freedom to fight and attack? Is that... Is there something there about truth? Truth? Be belted up, be constrained and restricted with truth. With truth. Now that's kind of odd, isn't it? Think about it for a moment. Being restricted by truth, being constrained by truth, that's not the way our world sees it at all. Our world doesn't like the idea that truth is going to restrict me. I don't want to be restricted by the truth. I want to be free. I want to be free. I want to be liberated, be restricted by the truth. No, 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 no. You know, what, what do you mean by truth? Well, you go out here. Go out here to the quad if you want to do a little experiment sometime. And do a little interview with whoever might be out there. And ask the question, do you believe in this thing called, you know, truth? You know, you might have some people say, well, you know, yeah, sure, duh. Or you might have some people say, truth, absolute truth, objective truth. No, 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 no. That's your truth. And I've got my truth. And who are you to impose your values or your truth upon me? I want the freedom. You're, you're restricting my freedom. And, and even the notion that you, know, you would believe in a faith that whose founder says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes, that's... I mean, that's, that's intolerant. I mean, that's, that's restrictive. I mean, you know, you have your truth. There's many ways, many paths up to God, and that just happens to be your path, all right? How are you going to respond to that? Well, if it were me, I'd take him to the custard cup. 
No, I mean, if you're going to have a, if you're going to have a strenuous conversation, you might as well have ice cream, right? Go to the custard cup. You guys like the custard cup? What do you, what do you get when you go to the custard cup? What? What? Who do I point to? Who wants to tell me? What? Cold fudge Sunday. Someone said, I didn't hear what you said because someone was yelling louder, but that's okay. That's, that's their truth. Right? Cold fudge Sunday. Cold, cold fudge Sunday. That's, now me, when I go to the custard cup, I like, I like a Butterfinger snowstorm. Oh, man. I'm telling it's good stuff, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's my truth. That's my, now, you know, that, that says more about me than the custard cup, right? That, that's, it says more about the subject, which is why it's called subjective truth. Subjective truth says about the subject. I like, I love, I love Butterfinger Snowstorm. That's a, subje- that's a subjective statement. And so, and so, in a sense, my friend out on the quad, yeah, okay, you have your truth about, I have my truth, and as long as we have that conversation in the custard cup, okay, right on. But if I have a herniated disc, and I'm slumped over a yoga ball, and I need to figure out truth, okay? We're not going to go to the custard cup to find that out. We're not. I mean, you can, but you're not. You're going to go, you're going to go to the, the doctor's office who's going to show you a CT scan and who's going to say, look, here, this is the way it is. Here's the truth. You want the truth, right? You want truth. So here is the way it, in fact, that's a good definition. Peter Kreef is a philosopher and he says, the simplest definition of truth is, truth is telling it like it is. So you tell, tell me, don't tell me how you feel about it, okay? You tell me how it is, okay? Here is how it is. This is what a herniated disc looks like. This is how a herniated disc gets fixed. Here is the incision that's going to take place. Here's the procedure that's going to have to happen there. This is the way it is. It's going to, and, and here's the restriction because of that surgery, and then here's the healing time, and here's what's going to have to be happening afterwards, and, and there's, no, there's really no, uh, you know, I feel, uh, uh, I, it's, it's, this is the way it is, objective truth, objective truth. And, and, and by the way, it's delivered by a physician or a surgeon whose very life and training and time and calendar has been restricted so that that surgeon may have the freedom to operate skillfully and effectively there around that table. See, people say, well, I don't like objective truth because it's restrictive. You're right, it is. It is. And we've seen an example of that here in worship. Amanda beautifully playing the cello. She didn't pick the, mach- the, the instrument up yesterday. Her life has been restricted. Her calendar, her time, her studies have been restricted toward this so that she can have freedom in the chair. You understand that? You know that works in professional 
athletics. You know that works in marriage. The, the freedom that I have to love my wife in a liberating way comes from the restriction of I'm a one-woman man. And then we share. We share the checkbook and we share the calendar and we share the home and we're together. That's restrictive. That's right. That's right. And, and to say that absolute objective truth doesn't exist. You know what? People believe that truth exists because people believe lies exist. And C.S. Lewis says that to, to say that there's no such thing as objective absolute truth is the, is the most destructive thing that you can say in the world. That would be like driving your car out on the road while closing your eyes. Or it would be like driving your car with a fake seatbelt. See? But Paul... In these verses, as in the entire letter, is not just talking about objective truth per se, telling it like it is. Well, he is. But he te telling it like it is in reference to the gospel. You see, he's talking about the objective truth of the gospel. That, that Christianity is not about different people's efforts to get up the mountain to get to God. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity tells about the infinite, eternal God who trailblazed away to earth. Not me finding truth, but truth finding me. Because truth is not just a proposition. It's not merely that. It is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. And he came and he performed miracles to substantiate his truth claims. And he wasn't on a power trip in proclaiming truth. Rather, he who was all truth, he came to serve. Not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And he gave his life ultimately when his very own body was buckled and braced to a Roman cross, so that by his death, in full payment for your disobedience and my disobedience against the holy God, God might through him create the new race in Christ. That is the gospel truth to which Paul teaches in Ephesians. And this is the gospel truth which Ephesians 1.13 says, Paul said, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And it is so important that this gospel truth be fastened tightly to our lives. And why? Paul says, remember your enemy. Satan is your enemy. The devil's schemes, verse 10, you must take your stand against the devil's schemes. And Jesus said concerning Satan 
in John 8, 44, he was a murderer. Satan's been a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When Satan lies, Jesus says, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. My native language? My native language is English. It's my primary and only speaking language. That's all I know. How long have I been doing that? Well, let me see. Oh, what, 40, 45 and a half years or, you know, since mama, since mama, 45 and a half years, huh? since I first uttered a syllable that became a word, Satan's been speaking his native language since creation. He's much better at his native language than I am at mine. You're not going to be able to outlie Satan. You're not going to be able to beat him in his own deception. He's just not going to work. No. And that's why Paul says truth must be fastened to our life. The gospel truth must be fastened to our life. It's our only defense, church family. Our only defense. And, and this is why this is so important. And look up here for a minute. God has gifted this church with so many newcomers. And I, I just wish, again, I just wish I could, wish I I've got, I've got many names that I know. I don't know everybody's name, and that frustrates me, but I know this about all of us. I know that we have lived long enough that we regret doing some of the things we've done. We've spoken words and had conversations we wish we hadn't spoken. Or we haven't done things that we really wish we, we had done. We come into this room here, and what we hope what we want you to hear is truth. But there's another voice that could very well be heard in your heart or in your life. And it's a voice that says, what in the world are you doing here? Who do you think you are? After, after what you said, after the thing you did, you're just a hypocrite. You're, you're a lost cause. The best thing for you to do would be be to get up and get out right now just so you don't poison everybody else. Now you hear that voice. You hear that voice, whether you're a guest here for the first time or whether you're a charter member at this church, that is not the voice of Christ. That is the voice of your enemy, the devil. And that's why we need the gospel truth fastened and fixed and braced to our hearts and lives because Satan is set to destroy us with his deception. We need the gospel truth for it is the gospel, Paul says in Ephesians, the truth of the gospel says that in Christ God has has forgiven me. The truth of the gospel says that in Christ I'm no longer an enemy of God. The truth of the gospel says that God in Christ has made me an heir to his kingdom. The truth of the gospel says that my relationship with God is not based on my ability to keep the commands, but Christ's ability to keep his promises. The truth of the gospel says that I am God's workmanship, that he's working and crafting and creating newness of life in my life to his glory. The truth of the gospel says that when I'm tempted, I need to depend upon his word which warns me, which warns me, don't go there. No, you're not going to want to have that conversation with that person. No, you're not going to want to meet 
that person in that setting. That's not going to be healthy. It's not going to be to the praise of God's glory. The truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel says that God, through Christ, enjoys me. He enjoys me. And when we fasten the gospel on our lives, that gospel protects us and supports us and braces us, and the truth of the gospel gives a preacher the confidence to be able to stand up and declare Christ. To be able to declare Christ. The truth of the gospel cleans our consciences, and you can't preach if you don't have a clean conscience. The truth of the gospel purifies us. The truth of the gospel lets us be used by God in the name of God through his son Jesus. That's the truth. It's the truth. It's the truth that says God restricted himself in putting on flesh and dying for his people so that his people may be free to serve and love. That is gospel truth. Do you believe that? Are you buckled up? Are you belted up? Are you fastened? Are you held together and constrained and restricted by that truth so that you can then be free? Free to live and love as Christ. Well, that's what's going on, I think, in Paul's mind when he mentions this very powerful metaphor. The question now is, is okay, what's it going to look like? What, what's that look like in my life? And Paul tells us, he tells us in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light, here it is, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. In Christ, God says his people are light. You are light. Now, what does light emit? Light emits truth. This is who you are. Therefore, this is what God says you are empowered to emit. Light emits truth. Notice that Paul doesn't say, okay, you gotta cough up the truth if you wanna be light. No, it's the other way around. This is who you are in Christ. Now, based on that, in faith, in trust, relying upon what Jesus says you are in him, now you emit truth. And that is why Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. You speak, this is who you are. Now, this is how I want you to speak. This is how I want you to conduct yourself based on who God says you are in Christ. So... When I tell my wife that I'm going to be home at 5.45 and I come in at 6.12, I just need to tell her the truth. I, I, I don't need to say, honey, I, you have no idea how bottlenecked Windsor Road was on my way home. <laughs> I, I mean, they were backed up all the way to Mattis. No, that's not. Oh, that was a really important, you know, uh, session that I was really helping someone in the name of Christ with. And, you know, it's just, 
I don't need to spin the truth. I don't need to shade the truth. I don't need to hide the truth. I just need to say, you know what? I'm sorry. Um, I I should have cut that appointment short. I should have done that. Uh, I should have cut the phone call short. And then I should have explained to the person that I had made a commitment to my wife that I was going to be home at a specific time. And I didn't do that. And, And at the very least, I should have at least called ahead of time. See? That's truth. That becomes a part of, why don't, I, why don't I just instinctively do that? Well, the reason why I would instinctively do that is well, because I'm a sinner. That's the main reason. But, 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 but why? Because, he's, because I don't want to have to hear it. Right? I don't want to hear it. So I can spin it in such a way so that I don't have to hear it. Okay? I know. I know how to spin it. I know. Your pastor's a sinner. Believe him when he says that. I know how to spin it, okay? And, and, and I don't want to have to hear it, or I don't want to have to, I don't want to have to feel dis, disprove, disapproval, right? Is that why we do that? We don't want to have to hear it from the boss or hear it from someone, so we, you know, so, so what am I doing? I'm getting my significance based on my level of my wife's approval at the expense of, getting my significance from the approval of God, my heavenly Father, and what his son Jesus Christ has done for me at the cross. See, you are in a situation at work and you're asked to do something unethical or you're asked to do and you're going to face disapproval. Or maybe you don't want to hear it. Or maybe it's a family matter and you know, you're going to get pressure. From what am I going to rest on? Am I going to rest on the significance that God says I have in Christ or am I going to really just kind of jettison that and go for the approval of even my family or make that more important? No, not even that. I've got to fasten that truth to my heart and to my life. I'm going to speak truthfully. I'm going to speak the truth in love. I'm going to speak the truth in love. All right? When I go to a preacher conference... I go to a preacher conference, but the preachers in the room, they say, Randy, what are you running these days? Well, I run the mile in 10 minutes. They don't want to know that. It's not what they want to know. They want to know the phrase, Randy, what are you running these days? means how big is your church? That's what they want to know. That's what that means. That's preacher language. That means how big is your church, okay? Now, what sounds more successful for me to say, well, we've been averaging on, you know, 933. I think that's what it was this past week. All right, does that sound? Or, how about this? About 1,000. Huh? See? So why do, I need, why, do I need, why do I need to say that? Somehow that's the magic number? Somehow that's the magic number that makes me feel successful? Just tell the truth. Just tell the truth. Why? Because your significance comes from the one who saved you by dying on the cross for you. For we are all members of one body. See, we're one. We are as one. As one. The belt is not just a belt that binds me around my body. It is a belt that binds us as the people of God as we keep the truth of Christ, who is in fact Christ himself, braced to our lives. And our community, our community must find this congregation faithful. 
Our community must find this congregation true. And if so, then our community will find Christ true, for we are his body. You see how that, the stakes are high. So belt up, buckle up, for it is in being fastened with the truth of Christ that we are free to live as Christ. By being restrained with Christ's truth, we are in fact released to serve and love and be Jesus. That's what Paul's trying to say here. If you want to be free, you've got to be fastened. You've got to be fastened. Well, um, I like roller coasters. I like the custard cup. Uh, uh, Butterfinger snowstorms, and I like roller coasters. I, li- I don't know, I just like, I love roller coasters. If you ever ride a roller coaster with me, you better wear earplugs. Okay? I love the danger, I love the thrill, I love the speed, I love the turning, the going upside down, the dip, I love my stomach coming right up here in my Adam's apple. I love that. I love it. I loved over the top of the top of the biggest tall hill and then just that pause before you look down into this abyss. I love it. I put my hands up in praise as I go down. I love roller coasters. And you know why I love roller coasters? Because I'm fastened to the seat. That's why. I'm fastened to the seat. That's why I love that. That's why I can do that. That's why I'm so free, because I'm fastened. Huh. I'm fastened to a seat that is fastened to a train that is fastened to the track that is fastened, hopefully, prayerfully, <laughs> to the earth. And because I'm fastened, I'm free. Are you fastened to Christ? If you if you're not fastened to Christ, are you really free? You see Jesus said, he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And he says, if you know the truth, you will be free. Indeed. 